Friday, February 8, 2019. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City here in Denver, Colorado. You know, we get together every single weekday, and we talk sports with a dose of common sense. We are happy to have you here with us today. Happy Friday to you. We have made it through another work week. And you know, we do have a little sports history to get started with today. You know, if you stopped the average person on the street and asked them why, the NFL franchise from Cleveland is called the Browns, you would probably get the same answer for most people. Uh, because they were brown? Yeah, not so much. On February 8th, 1945, Paul Brown agreed to coach the new American football expansion team in Cleveland, which would later be named the Cleveland Browns after their coach. Of course, Brown is credited with a number of of American football innovations. You know Paul Brown was the first coach to ever use game film to scout his opponent. He hired a full-time staff of assistant coaches. He would test players on their knowledge of their playbook. He also invented the modern face mask, the practice squad, and the draw play. And he played an important role in breaking professional football's color barrier. He brought some of the first African-American players to play pro football in the modern era onto his teams. Now, he would later play a significant role in starting the Cincinnati Bengals franchise, but check out some of the incredible coaches that are under Paul Brown in his coaching tree. Guys like Weeb Eubank. By the way, I don't know when we stopped naming guys Weeb, but we probably should bring that back. Because I'm telling you right now, if Sean McVay's first name is Weeb, there's no way his Rams get beat last Sunday. Weeb McVeigh, oh, he's getting a win. Sean, he might get smoked. His offense might look like a mess. Oh, Weeb McVeigh, yeah, Weeb McVeigh just gets things done. But Weeb Eubank came from Paul Brown. Lou Saban came from Paul Brown. Eventually, guys like Buddy Ryan, Chuck Knox, Marty Schottenheimer, Don Shula, and of course, Bill Walsh, who Paul Brown gave a big coaching break to, hiring him to be an assistant with the Cincinnati Bengals. So on this day, Paul Brown took over the Cleveland Browns. He would eventually go on to win three NFL championships. But of course, the Browns would eventually fire the guy that their franchise is named for. And you know why? Because the Cleveland Browns just can't have nice things. That's just how things in this world work. If you'd like to contact us, let us know your favorite snake-bitten franchise. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you have a suggestion for us, reach out. We would love to hear what you have to say. Also, make sure you stop by tpublic.com, where you can find the latest Daily Dose gear over there. Just search Daily Dose. Scroll down until you find our logo, and there you will see a number of Daily Dose items from t-shirts, to hoodies, to stickers, to notebooks. So be sure that you stop by tpublic.com and pick up some of the latest Daily Dose gear over there. Hey, today on the show, we've got a lot to get to. Telling you that right now. We've got a few news stories coming out in the world of sports, but then as we do on many Fridays, we will be previewing the weekend in sports, letting you know what is actually going to be worth watching over these next few days. And then we will have our Daily Dose Top 5 to get to. Always a popular segment on the show. You know you've got to tune in on Fridays for the Daily Dose Top 5 because you never know which way it's going to go. Hey, let's get into some breaking news. And you know, we're actually going to start with some serious news for a change because Frank Robinson, 
the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball and the only player to win the MVP in both the AL and the NL actually passed away yesterday at the age of 83. An outfielder and a first baseman, Robinson was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame back in 1982 in his very first year of eligibility. Hey, Robinson was a clutch hitter. He ranks 10th on the career home run list. He had 586 home runs in his career. He won the Triple Crown with the Orioles in 1966, and then he became the first black manager in Major League Baseball history in 1975 with the Cleveland Indians. He did also serve as MLB's Executive Vice President of Baseball Development with his focus on increasing African-American participation numbers in the sport. Later, he would serve as a Senior Advisor to Commissioner Rob Manfred. Hey, Robinson did it all in baseball and baseball lost a great, great guy when they lost Frank Robinson yesterday. Not only was he a great player, not only was he an advocate of pushing the game and bringing more players into the game, he was a funny guy. He had a great sense of humor. He was a fiery personality. Baseball will definitely miss a guy like Frank Robinson. Switching over to the NBA, you know, we saw a lot of moves taking place at the NBA trade deadline, but not many were really all that important. The most impactful one might actually be Memphis trading big man Marcus Gasol to Toronto. Now, I'm not sure how many minutes Marcus Gasol still has left in him, but hey, he does help that lineup, and he does give them some size inside, gives them a shot blocker inside, gives them a much better rebounder. Not sure how many minutes he has left on that body, but Marcus Gasol makes Toronto a very, very interesting team over in the East. The East is slowly making steps and getting better. One other move that is interesting, the Milwaukee Bucks got Nikola Mirotic from New Orleans. Remember at the beginning of the year, we were looking at New Orleans and we were saying, hey, Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, Nikola Mirotic, they're all playing really, really well together. The New Orleans Pelicans, they might be something to watch this year. And now we're looking at New Orleans and going, yeah, you guys are about to be the worst team in the league here real soon. And Mirotic is now gone. So it looks like New Orleans is already making steps to bottom that franchise out. But we did have one other move that I want to talk about. Because in unreported crime news, the Orlando Magic absolutely got robbed yesterday just prior to the NBA trade deadline. Orlando sends Jonathan Simmons a first round pick and a second round pick to the Philadelphia 76ers. For broken point guard and top draft pick bust, Markel Fultz. I'm not sure what the Magic see in this deal. I'm not sure where David Stern is when we actually need him. But three players for Markel Fultz? I'll be honest. I wouldn't give you three Philly cheesesteak sandwiches for Markel Fultz. I wouldn't give you three Subway sandwiches for Markel Fultz. Not only does he seem to be physically broken. But he also seems to have, I don't know, some head issues. Fultz has been out since mid-November with that shoulder injury that they are saying is responsible for his horrible shooting. And of course, we know his agent is saying, oh, he's going to be fine. He's going to return to the team still this season. The shoulder is healing and everything's going to be good. But I don't believe anything that agent says. I would imagine that agent will also tell us he'll throw in rust-proofing and free undercoating, and he'll waive the dealer prep finder's fee, and he'll waive the key charges too. <laughs> Don't look now, Orlando. 
but you are the proud new owner of a lemon. Enjoy. I'm sure that won't come back to bite you at all. Hey, coming back, we will be previewing the very first weekend of 2019 without any sort of football to watch. What in the world are we going to do? Well, we actually do have a few options for you. So let's shift over to our weekend sports preview. You know, we try to do this every week. We look at some of the best upcoming events over the weekend just to make you aware of kind of how to plan out your schedule. If there is a certain game that you want to make sure you want to see, we just try to give you a heads up and let you know when it is going to be so you can kind of pencil that in on your schedule. Hey, make sure we don't go to this one stupid party we got invited to. There's actually a big game on. I want to see it. Make sure I'm not out shopping. I'm not out doing chores in the yard when I could have been in front of the TV if I would have just planned my time a little better. We try to just help you plan your weekend. Of course, we do also pick the games for you, kind of give you an idea which way we think they're going to tilt. Hey, just trying to get ready for the whole sports betting thing. Remember, all times given our mountain time zone, so adjust your schedules accordingly, but let's jump in and see what this weekend has to offer. Okay, this might sound insane just right off the bat, but tonight... We actually have a decent Ivy League basketball game at 5 p.m. No, no, no. Stop laughing. I swear. A good Ivy League basketball game. We really do. The Princeton Tigers are in first place in the Ivy League. They have a 12-5 and record. They go to Yale to face the Bulldogs, who are in second place with a record of 13-4. and But Princeton has the advantage in conference so far. One of these two teams is probably going to go to the dance. Yale likes to get up and down the floor. They shoot it pretty well. Princeton plays a little bit better defense. They are red hot right now. I will take Princeton in this game. But hey, Princeton versus Yale should be very, very tight. And you know, it's nice to see these poor kids finally catch a break and see some success in basketball. Also at 5 p.m. tonight, we have my slumping Denver Nuggets, who since locking up the top seed for the NBA All-Star break, yeah, they've decided just to shut it down and coast for a few games. Denver got blown out by Detroit on Monday night. Then they got pounded again by Brooklyn on Wednesday. Don't believe the score. It wasn't that close. Tonight, they go to Philadelphia to take on the 76ers who have now just traded for Tobias Harris. It may take Philly some time to learn how to play together, but think about the 76ers starting five right now. Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That might be the best five going right now in the Eastern Conference. Philly is going to be very interesting to watch after the All-Star break, and I am going to take the Sixers to hand the Nuggets their third loss in a row. Let's move on to Saturday, and we start off the day with a very interesting Big Ten rematch because it was just a few weeks ago that the Michigan Wolverines were probably going to be named the number one team in the country. And then they went into Madison, and the Wisconsin Badgers just handled them and knocked them off. And Michigan dropped down to three, down to four, and now they're down to seven. But here is a chance for some revenge for those Michigan Wolverines. They will host the number 19 Wisconsin Badgers at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. I'm going to take Michigan in this game, but they are so inconsistent offensively. They had better find some offense on Saturday morning or they may end up getting beat by Wisconsin a second time. Moving on to 12.30 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, we've got a pretty decent Big East matchup. The number 14 Villanova Wildcats 
No, they're not as good as they have been the past two years. But they have now won 10 games in a row. They will go to Milwaukee and face the number 10 Marquette Golden Eagles, who, of course, are coached by former Duke Blue Devil Steve Wojciechowski. Now, Marquette should actually be on top in the Big East, but they keep losing to St. John's. They've now lost twice to St. John's. Meanwhile, Villanova, they're getting excellent play from Phil Booth. Marcus Howard can do it all for Marquette. Hey, the Big East is going to be on the line here. You know, I'm starting to feel, though, like Villanova under Jay Wright, I don't want to say they're the Patriots, but they're kind of starting to feel Patriot-ish. Like, don't count them out because they just keep getting better all season. I think Villanova figures this out and they beat Marquette on the road. Should be an interesting game in the Big East, though. At 3 p.m., we get a solid NBA game as the San Antonio Spurs have warmed up a little lately. They are now the number six seed in the West. They go to Utah to face the Jazz, who sit just a game and a half behind them. They are the number seven seed. Now, for the Spurs, LaMarcus Aldridge is playing the best basketball so far he has played this year. And the Jazz, I don't know, they kind of feel like they're missing something. I thought maybe they would go make a trade at the NBA trade deadline. They didn't really do anything. So I guess the Jazz are saying, we're going to stand pat with what we have. Now, maybe that brings them some confidence. Maybe that lets everyone relax and play well. But I'm going to go ahead and take the Spurs to win this game on Saturday. Next up, you know, we have the college basketball marquee matchup on Saturday at 4 p.m. So if you're going to pencil anything in, this might be the spot. The number two Duke Blue Devils go to Virginia for their rematch with the number three Virginia Cavaliers. Of course, we remember just a few weeks ago, Duke beat Virginia at home and they did it without point guard Trey Jones, who is now back from that shoulder injury. Virginia has been off this entire week, which is a really good thing for Tony Bennett's squad because Virginia's starting to look tired. They're starting to look a little bit worn out. They're starting to look like the ACC is beating them up a little bit, but they should be ready to go on Saturday at 4 p.m. I'm going to go ahead and pick Duke here. I just think Trey Jones is so good. He makes Duke so much better defensively. Going to see if he can do that again because the last time these two teams faced each other, Virginia could not get anything going with Trey Jones back for Duke. Yeah, it might be even worse this time around. Moving on, you know, I told you this is going to be our first full weekend without football, right? Super Bowl's over. We don't even have something stupid like the Pro Bowl to watch. Nothing. Well, we do have something sort of to watch, though, because on Saturday night, we have a few pro football games you actually might want to tune in for. The Alliance of American Football. That league formed by Charlie Ebersol and Bill Polian has two games going on Saturday night. Now, this league is saying that they want to be a bona fide alternative to the NFL. They currently have eight teams. They will play a 10-week schedule. And they do have a couple of rule changes that, I don't know, they might be interesting. No TV timeouts and just less commercials in general. When they do go to commercial, they say they're going to do it with a split screen. And as a result, they're saying these games are going to be just two hours instead of three hours. No kickoffs. The ball just goes to the 25-yard line. And no extra points after touchdowns. You have to just go for two. So I don't know. It might be interesting. The games are going to be played on CBS Sports Network. So you might want to check them out. We've got two games going on Saturday. The first one features the Atlanta Legends going to Orlando to play the Apollos. 
I have no idea what the Apollos are. Is that Apollo Creed? I have no idea. Former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray is going to be playing for the Atlanta Legends as well as former Michigan star Denard Robinson. Meanwhile, Orlando has Steve Spurrier as their head coach and the Apollos have 15 players on their roster from Florida, Florida State, and Miami. Hey, we know every single year after NFL training camps end and the preseason ends, there are a lot of really talented players that get cut. I don't know. Maybe you see some of these guys have some success. I'm going to take Orlando, I guess just based on the whole picking up guys from Florida thing, but I don't know. might be a decent game to watch. Also at 6 p.m., we have another Alliance of American football game. The San Diego Fleet will go to San Antonio to face the San Antonio Commanders, whatever that is. San Diego has former Rams coach Mike Martz. They've got former Arizona State quarterback Mike Bercovici and East Carolina's Philip Nelson trying to get playing time at quarterback. They also have Colorado's Nelson Spruce, who actually looked like a decent player in preseason. Meanwhile, San Antonio has Cowboys legend fullback Daryl Johnston as their GM. Now, former Nebraska head coach Mike Riley is the head coach for San Antonio. And I don't know if you remember Toledo quarterback Logan Woodside. Looks like he's going to be starting at quarterback for San Antonio. I'll take San Diego in this game, but I honestly don't have a clue. At 6.30 on Saturday night, we do have another NBA Western Conference battle, and this should be a good one. The Oklahoma City Thunder are currently the number three seed in the West, and now we are starting to see Russell Westbrook is starting to heat up. He's starting to hit his shots. He's starting to score again. On Saturday night at 6.30, the Thunder go to Houston to face James Harden and his insane scoring stretch. Do you realize that James Harden is averaging nearly 44 points per game in February. The Rockets are currently the five seed. They are trying to stay ahead of San Antonio and maybe even move up and catch Portland. I am going to take the Thunder to get this win on the road, but that should be a decent game to finish up your Saturday night. Okay, let's move on to Sunday. And I've got a game that I'm going to be honest, it might not be a great NBA game, but it might just be fun to watch. Because at 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, the Portland Trailblazers, who are currently the number four seed in the West, they go to Dallas to face a Mavericks team that is starting to get at least a little bit interesting. Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, and now they ship out Harrison Barnes and get Justin Jackson in return. I know Porzingis won't play until next year, but if you haven't seen Luka Doncic play yet, dude has, I don't know how else to say this, he's got like old man game. Like, you got to check this kid out. If you haven't got a chance to watch him yet, he's a really, really impressive rookie. The Mavericks are slowly getting better, but I am going to take Portland because Dallas isn't better quite yet. One interesting college basketball game on Sunday afternoon. We actually have a pretty good American Athletic Conference game on Sunday. At 2 p.m., the number 12 Houston Cougars are in first place. They will be hosting the number 25 Cincinnati Bearcats, who are in second place in the AAC. Hey, These teams are about as evenly matched as you are going to see. Both are playing extremely well right now. Both have big winning streaks going into the game. Both play pretty good defense. This should be a really, really tight finish. I will take Houston and only because they're playing at home. And finishing off the weekend, we do have a little more football on Sunday because we go back to the Alliance of American Football. The Memphis Express has Hall of Fame linebacker Mike Singletary as their head coach on a staff. That also includes Dennis Thurman 
and Pepper Johnson. At quarterback, they've got Christian Hackenberg and Zach Mettenberger. They will be going to Birmingham to face the Birmingham Iron. And the reason they are called the Iron is because they've got this weird dynamic down with this Birmingham team. Their team consists of a ton of Auburn and Alabama players. So the biggest thing to watch might just be, can Auburn and Alabama fans in the stands actually get along? The Iron have former Alabama stars Blake Sims and Trent Richardson on their roster. Plus, they have Auburn receiver Quan Bray. And you might remember Chris Davis, the defensive back that took back the kick six in the Iron Bowl that year for the Tigers. He is also on the roster for Birmingham. And as a result, I guess I'll just take Birmingham here. I have no idea. But it should be pretty interesting to see some of the things going on this weekend. Hey, coming back, we need to get to our Daily Dose Top 5. Now, on Sunday, we saw Super Bowl 53 won by the New England Patriots. But let's just say it wasn't exactly the most thrilling Super Bowl we've ever seen, right? But here's the question for you. Was it the worst? Now, as we do every Friday, we need to get to our Daily Dose Top 5. The New England Patriots won Super Bowl 53 on Sunday, 13-3 over the Los Angeles Rams. It wasn't the most exciting game. 14 punts, way too many penalties, below average offense. Now, since that snooze fest ended, we have been being told by some in the sports media world, and of course, by New England Patriot honks, that this was actually an amazing game. In fact, I've been told this a couple times by people just in my personal life. They've all told me the same thing. You just don't appreciate good defense. Yeah, I beg to differ. One, I can't really say this was a great defensive game last Sunday. Rams quarterback Jared Goff, he looked terrible. He missed wide open receivers. It didn't look like he could read a defense whatsoever. And running back Todd Gurley, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's injured or he's sick, something. He had 35 yards rushing and 16 of them were on one play. So other than that, he's right down in the you know yard and a half, two yard average range. And for as good as the Rams defense played, hey, they held New England to just 13 points. Julian Edelman was open on literally every single play. But forget arguing whether or not the defense was good. Here's the question that I have for you as far as was Super Bowl 53 a good game? Can you name the most memorable moment from the game? Because I don't know what it would be. Let's see, the missed field goals? The 65-yard punt. That might have been the best play. Adam Levine's nipples. And for some reason, beer companies were just blasting corn syrup. What did they have against corn syrup? Somewhere out there, there was a corn syrup executive sitting down to watch the big game. And he was just like, what did we do? Why are we getting put on blast? I don't know what that was about. I mean, I guess the biggest positive from the game might have been Tony Romo. He was pretty good at predicting plays. Dude clearly has a knack for that. There were a couple times he called exactly what was going to happen. But other than that, Super Bowl 53 wasn't that fun to watch. But was it the worst ever? Well, I'll say this, it's in the conversation. But I think if we put our minds to it, we can find five that were worse. Maybe not by much, but we can find five Super Bowls that were maybe even a little less entertaining than Super Bowl 53. Let's give it a shot right now. Starting off at number five. Now, five. we have had low scoring games that were boring 
like the one on Sunday. But we have also had some hideous blowouts in Super Bowls, and Super Bowl 24 was more of the latter. It was the biggest blowout in Super Bowl history. The 1988 San Francisco 49ers were absolutely one of the greatest teams ever. And they showed it by blowing out my beloved Denver Broncos 55-10 to in a game that honestly wasn't as close as that final score indicates. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice were hitting on all cylinders. The Niners were up 27-3 to at halftime. Dominance is fun, but not when you want to see a good game. Not when you want to see something competitive. The Broncos actually had the top defensive team in pro football that season. They just got torched all day. Oh, and by the way, John Elway went 10 of 26 for 108 yards. He threw two interceptions. Hey, Super Bowl 24, it was just an absolute mismatch, and it comes in at number five. Moving on to number four. The Miami Dolphins would become the only team in NFL history to go undefeated in 1972. But in 1971, they turned in a terrible performance in Super Bowl VI. Tom Landry's Cowboys pounded the Dolphins 24-3, and mostly they just made it tough to stay awake. Miami managed one second quarter field goal and racked up a whopping 185 total yards. Everything combined, 185. Cowboys quarterback Roger Staubach was named the Super Bowl MVP and get this, he threw for 119 yards. Oh, yeah, not exactly a thriller. Super Bowl six comes in at number four. Okay, I'm about to commit blasphemy with our number three selection. Get your torches and your pitchforks ready, but then just do me a favor. Go watch Super Bowl three and see if you manage to stay awake. I'm telling you right now, I've watched it recently. Good luck. Oh, I know, I know. It was the Joe Namath guarantee game that holds a special place in NFL history. It was a win for the young upstart AFL that had been told they would never be able to beat the mighty and powerful NFL. New York Jets quarterback Joe Namath got sick of being told all week how the Jets couldn't hang with the Baltimore Colts. So he made the guarantee, the Jets are going to win, I guarantee it. And they did just that. They beat the Colts 16-7 to and history was made. Okay, I get it. But wait a second. Joe Namath was very average on the day. He went 17-28. of He had 200 yards and no touchdowns. In fact, if the Colts start Johnny Unitas, who is coming back from an arm injury, instead of Earl Morrill, who threw three interceptions, the Colts probably still win this game because Unitas was finally put into the game in the fourth quarter and he led the Colts to their only touchdown. Had he played the whole game, they might have actually won the game. But wait, wait, wait. Let's get back to my blasphemy of bad-mouthing the most important game in NFL history. What if the Jets had not beaten the Colts here? What would have become of the AFL? Uh, probably nothing really that different because the next year, the Kansas City Chiefs would beat the Minnesota Vikings anyway. So was it really that big of a game? I kind of look back and say no. But more importantly, if you go back and watch it, it's a really dry, boring game. Super Bowl three, not nearly as interesting as everyone makes it out to be. Moving on to number two. And you see the score of Super Bowl five. The Baltimore Colts beat the Dallas Cowboys 16-13 to on a field goal with nine seconds left. And you might think to yourself, Clint has started his weekend drinking early. Uh. 
He should have at least waited until he was done with the top five. I get it. I do. But hear me out. Super Bowl five is known as the Blunder Bowl, the Blooper Bowl, or the Stuper Bowl. Why? Well, how about this? There were six fumbles in this game. There were six interceptions in this game. Colts quarterback Earl Morrill went 7 of 15 for 147 yards. Cowboys quarterback Craig Morton was 12 of 27 for 127 yards. There were 14 penalties. The two teams were a combined 4 of 24 on third downs. Neither team could run the ball either. In fact, this remains the only game in Super Bowl history to give the most valuable player award to a player from the losing team. Cowboys safety Chuck Howley got the award because he made two interceptions. Super Bowl V was an absolute mess and it is nothing but blunders. If you go back and watch it again, it comes in at number two. So what Super Bowl comes in at number one on our list of worst Super Bowls in NFL history? Well, in 1974, the halftime score of Super Bowl IX was Pittsburgh Steelers 2 and Minnesota Vikings 0. Great. Bottom of the second. Steelers up 2-0. Hey, that is some great defense, right? But it doesn't mean you want to watch it. The Steelers would go on to win their first Super Bowl in franchise history. They beat the Vikings 16-6. But get this. Future Hall of Fame quarterbacks Terry Bradshaw and Fran Tarkington combined to throw for 186 yards. Combined. The only touchdown the Vikings even scored was on a blocked punt, and then they went ahead and missed the extra point. The teams also combined for 12 penalties for 140 yards. Hey, I know the narrative is that no one liked Super Bowl 53 because it was a defensive game and we just don't like defense. But I think that's kind of funny because think back to some of the best Super Bowls in history. Super Bowl 16 between the Bengals and the Niners. Hey, it's best remembered for some great defensive play and a goal line stand by San Francisco. So was the second matchup when they saw each other again. We remember the Joe Montana pass to John Taylor, but the final score was 20 to 16. Not exactly a shootout. What about Super Bowl 25 between the Giants and the Bills? 20 to 19? Yeah, they really lit up the scoreboard, but one of the greatest games ever. Rams versus Titans in Super Bowl 34. Yes, we had the greatest show on turf, but the game ended 23 to 16 with a defensive stand by the Rams. The Patriots won their first Super Bowl over those Rams in 2001 in a 20 to 17 defensive battle that was thrilling, that had us on the edge of our seat. And of course we know Eli Manning and the New York Giants beat the Patriots twice in defensive wars that had us holding our breath. So don't give me this, you just don't like defense crap. No, we just don't like boring games. We just don't like poorly played games. You know, kind of like the games on this list. Oh, and also kind of like the game last Sunday. Hey, it is Friday and we made it through another week. I have to say thank you so much to Larry and Mike for stopping by and spending the week with us talking some NFL. We enjoyed that visit. Thanks to all of you for listening to The Daily Dose every day. Thank you for the texts and the tweets. We always love hearing from our listeners. Thank you for subscribing to the show wherever you listen and thank you so much for sharing the show. I have to say thanks to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all on Monday. Have a great weekend.